podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there and welcome to a new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. As always, my name is Adam Burns, one of your hosts for this episode, and joining me once again, my co-host, Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this weekend? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Just uh, looking back on a race that, to be honest, isn't going to live long in the memory. No, certainly not for the right reasons. I mean, of course... Another story in this season in 2020, perhaps a little caveat to the championship situation. Of course, it's probably too soon to suggest that, but you never know. It's always a good sign. But once again, uh, a race, as you mentioned, Courtney, not one that lives long in the in the memory bank, but a race nonetheless that has been won by Valtteri Bottas. And this is the sort of circuit that we said in our preview last week, or you in particular mentioned, that Valtteri does love this circuit. He's had a lot of success in junior categories racing through Russia and of course very very strong in Formula 1 it's his second win at this circuit his ninth for Mercedes and of course his second win of the season a critical moment in the season we've been saying for a long long time that Valtteri Bottas desperately needed to try and get a race win at this point in the season to try and stop the momentum that Lewis Hamilton had been gathering all season long I mean it's been eight races since Valtteri had won a Grand Prix, of course, the first of which at the opening race of the season in Austria. And since then, Valtteri has been in a very difficult position where he just doesn't look like he's had the pace or has any sort of idea of how to beat Lewis Hamilton. But today, for all the right reasons, everything seemed to fall Valtteri Bottas' way and he took full advantage of it today to get the win today and, of course, close down that or close in on Lewis Hamilton's championship lead, which is now 44 points after Valtteri getting the maximum 26 points for the win and the fastest lap. And of course, Lewis Hamilton only coming third as a result of a uh, two time penalties that he received for an incident at the start of the race or before the race even started, I should say. So uh, before we get into a bit of that, Courtney, uh, what was your thoughts on the race of course you mentioned that it was wasn't one that was exciting to watch but in general what were your thoughts on that race um yeah there wasn't really much report you had you know you had Valtteri benefiting from uh an absence of uh Lewis Hamilton um which seems to be a, a, a bit of a trend about being too harsh on Valtteri um, and then you had another example of um, Max Verstappen getting the best out of his car. And, you know, taking advantage of any slip-ups that Mercedes make, which was pretty apparent today. And then, uh, beyond that, yet again, we had another um, very tight midfield battle. And it looks like Ferrari now part of that. So I think that's another piece of information we can take from today. Yeah, absolutely right. And... Um... Of course, there's so many stories happening throughout this race in terms of where you look through the pecking order. Of course, it wasn't the most exciting race, as we've mentioned a few times already. Um, But nonetheless, there was action in certain areas of the field, certain stories that were unfolding in this race and may transpire into the remaining races of this season. Of course, we've still got, I think, seven races to go. So still plenty of action and still plenty of time for Valtteri Bottas to try and hone in on Lewis Hamilton. But as you mentioned, Corny, an important factor is that Lewis's uh, turmoil, I suppose, if if you'd like to say that today, a rare moment for him and the team, uh, kind of contributed to their downfall today. It was of their own doing, of their own volition, if you like. And uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, I'll just give you a little rundown of what happened. So at the start of, before the race started, I should say, I should stop saying at the start, but before the race started, the drivers and teams, obviously they need to get their cars to the grid. So what they tend to do, have a lap or two, where they sort of do installation apps to make sure their cars are working properly. And as a part of that procedure, when they come to the exit of the pit lane, they do what's called a practice start. Now, the reason why they do practice starts is to test the bite point of the clutch uh, to make sure that the car's set up okay and make sure everything's as it should be so that when they have their getaway, when the lights go out to start the race, 
they will be able to maximise the efficiency of their start so that they can get away as quick as possible. Now, as a part of this phase, Lewis Hamilton, certainly no stranger to a practice start. I don't think I've seen a driver do more practice starts than Lewis Hamilton. And it has contributed a lot to why Lewis has been so good getting off the line. And he was so again today. But what happened was Lewis came out of the pit lane and he pulled uh, towards the exit. So he'd already gone past the exit towards the rundown through where it, it rejoins the race circuit. Lewis pulled over to the right hand side and parked his car to do a practice start. Now, for those of you wondering um, why this is a breach of regulations, it's not a breach of the rules per se in terms of technical or sporting regulations. But in the director's notes, they obviously lay out a pre-race briefing of what they need the drivers to cohere to in the race, certain rules specific to a track. Now, in the director's notes in Article 19.1, it states that practice starts may only be carried out on the right-hand side after the pit lane exit lights and for the avoidance of doubt, this includes any time the pit lane is open for the race. Drivers must leave adequate room on their left for another driver to pass. Basically what this means is that where Lewis understood this is that he went out of the pits, he pulled over to the right hand side just at the edge of where the pit exit was and then did his practice start. Now in Russia, for those of you that don't know how the circuit is, I'm going to put a picture on there for the YouTube viewers. So if you are listening to this on YouTube, you'll be able to see where Lewis put his car. But the exit of the pit lane in Russia, on that right hand side, it kind of joins the track from where Lewis was. So in order to get around Lewis, the drivers would have to go around him outside of where the pit lane exit would normally be to rejoin the circuit, which would be deemed unsafe. Now, this penalty uh, was issued to Lewis Hamilton. Obviously, this breach of the sporting di- uh, the racing director's note, should I have to say, uh, awarded him a five-second time penalty. Now, Lewis got two of those, and the reason he got two of those is he actually did the same thing twice. We just didn't see it. We only saw him do it once. But of course, when they rolled back the footage before the start, he'd actually gone round and did it again. So the second time, he got a, uh, another penalty for that. So this is why Lewis got 10 seconds worth of time penalties. Now, at the time, Lewis and Mercedes felt that they weren't doing anything wrong. It was both on the team radio, basically talking about it. And they said that was absolutely fine. But according to the race director, uh, Michael Massey and the stewards, they felt that Mercedes and Hamilton were in breach. Hence why they got the two time penalties. So having said all of that and tried to paint a picture for you guys, Courtney in particular, uh, what did you think of this? Did you think it was a fair penalty to give to Hamilton and Mercedes? Or did you think that perhaps under the circumstances, it might have been a bit harsh to give him two penalties? I think in all honesty, it's things like this that put a lot of people off Formula 1. Like... Before I continue speaking on this matter, I need to make this clear. I'm not salty. Lewis has still got a very strong lead in the championship. <laughs> he's still got, you know, he's still on the verge of becoming an all-time F1 winner, you know, in in history. Um, but you do, you just watch on, and you, like before the race has even started, the, the the result of the race is basically impeded because of where a driver positioned himself on the side of the pit lane where it wasn't an immediate risk to the drivers coming out. I get it if you'd like parked right just if drivers had to really like swerve out of the way and come out at full speed. It wasn't that dangerous. But you know, it it it, it, it not only must it be complicated, like it's, imagine if someone is watching the race for the first time. That's the first race they're watching, I go, why why is the lead having to stop for ten seconds? Oh, because he because he positioned himself in a particular spot on the pit lane. It's just I just think some of the regulations of Formula, and we've had this discussion before. Some of the regulations of Formula One are ridiculous, and I think a lot of people would agree on that. But on the flip side, it's been a great season for Lewis. You know, probably one of his strongest in terms of our performance on track. Probably one of the, the strongest that we've seen. It just seems that the the only. Uh, the only thing that seems to be stopping Lewis from being even better is Lewis himself and the and the decisions that they're making. Because if I remember right, this could be like the third time this season where decisions based on position on the pit lane or not looking at dash dash lights properly 
has cost Lewis quite a decent haul of points. Like non-Lewis Hamilton fans would be like covering their eyes if if you think about the amount of points that Lewis could be ahead if it wasn't for those three incidents this season. And it just seems that like could you imagine? I'm I'm pretty confident he'll he'll win the championship. But could you imagine if like Lewis ended up losing the championship by like ten points or less, and you go. Oh yeah, Lewis Hamilton lost the championship because of where he positioned his car um, just outside the pit lane. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, Adam, but it's just things like that that really put people off Formula One. Yeah, in terms of the purity of the sport, no one wants to see a championship battle or even a race win decided by an incident like this. It's quite interesting that this season in particular, as strong as Lewis has been, the only times when he's really seemed to lose a race or have it taken from him is through these moments where he gets these very, very strange penalties, very uncommon for incidents that usually happen as a result of an event or something out of the ordinary. Of course, we talk about the Italian Grand Prix with the uh, going into the pit lane on the safety car when it was closed. Of course, him and Giovinazzi got a penalty for that. And it cost him the win there. Of course, we talk about the penalty he had for the incident with Alex Albon at the uh, Austrian Grand Prix at the beginning of the season. Uh, And that was after a safety car restart as well. And then on top of that, you got the penalty that he got today. So I agree. It's not really what you want to see in terms of making the races uh, interesting or... Uh, these sorts of methods that are not necessarily methods that are put in place to stop Lewis from winning but obviously Lewis not winning races as a result of that I think if I'm perfectly honest Austria and the uh, F170 anniversary race at Silverstone earlier this season are probably the only two races where I could probably say that outright Lewis was beaten on the day hands up and and even then he wasn't necessarily overtaken in the normal conventional way. I mean, in Formula One these days, it's very difficult to, to overtake more so than it has been in the past. But even still, Lewis hasn't exactly lost the race by being overtaken or beaten outright. It's been more about, um, you know, not being in the position as to, in terms of the strategy as he was in Austria. And of course, what followed from there with the penalty incident, uh, the incident in Italy where he had to take the, the uh, penalty after uh, going in the pit lane when it was closed. In, in the F170 anniversary, Red Bull and Verstappen beat them on strategy in the race and done on there, um, which was refreshing at the time to see. Of course, it was brilliant, but you're absolutely right. It, it's a very, very strange penalty, but I will argue that despite it not being the most appeasing decision, I feel that it was one of those that would have to be made in the interests of health and safety. And I absolutely agree that where Lewis had pulled his car, it was very easy to see him and would pit cars would be able to navigate. But the way that that pit lane is designed or the exit of it is designed, the cars would have to take evasive action to avoid Lewis, especially when he's doing a practice start. Not that they'd be traveling anywhere near the speeds that they would be during the race. Of course, you yeah. should stress that, but nonetheless, it seemed that the way the rules are stated, it looked like a slam dunk decision where they had to do something. Now, I will cast your mind back to an incident in Spa 2019 where Charles Leclerc did something similar. However, the way that that pit lane exit is um, designed at Spa, where it's a lot more open, because of course um, it's just straight after last source and it's very open that you'll be fine. You, you know, there is a gap where you can put your car to do that. Um, that's off the racetrack. Whereas in Russia, you've got that right-hander at speed. Obviously, no one's going down there, but the way it's designed, it makes it a lot harder for the FIA to call Lewis into the steward's office after the race and basically say, look, don't do that again. Um, And perhaps because of what happened with Charles Leclerc in Spa back then when he was told that, it may have set a precedent where if someone does this again, they're going to get a penalty. And unfortunately for Lewis Hamilton, he just happened to be that one person. So... You're right, it's not the way that you would want these races to be ultimately decided, and today it it seemed that that was the case for Lewis, and I think we'll ask, I'll have to ask a question on this to you in a moment, but as we said, because of this incident, it's cost Lewis a potential win, and Valtteri Bottas for once was able to take advantage of this, so um, before we get into Valtteri Bottas, I'm going to have to ask this question, because the way Lewis was driving, he was complaining on the radio about why Mercedes brought him in earlier to serve this 10 second time penalty and of course for those of you that were wondering why he couldn't just have 10 seconds added to the end of the race long story short if you receive time penalties in the race and you have a pit stop to make you must serve that penalty in the pitch you cannot 
to do a normal stop and then serve that afterwards. So that's why Lewis had to pit and serve the penalty then rather than carry on and take the 10 seconds at the end, for those of you wondering. But the question is, Lewis was complaining a lot on the radio about tyres, the strategy, and I'll be honest with you, didn't seem like after everything that had happened and this sense of injustice that he had at the time, of course, since then he's probably changed his opinion on that, given the explanation and the debrief he would have had with his team and the stewards. But we've seen a few times, whilst we've been enthusiastically um, praising Lewis Hamilton this season, over his career, sometimes when Lewis is in that mindset where everything is going against him today and he feels like there are external forces trying to stop him, that seems to be one of those only rare methods that prevents Lewis from actually wanting to fight or at least at minimum take stock of the situation and say, okay, this is where I am. I need to get my head down, get on with it. Sometimes Lewis does go the other way and just has a defeatist attitude where he just thinks, well, I can't be asked. I'll just bring it home and, and get third place as he did. Any reason why you think that may well be, Courtney? Or if there's any truth to that opinion? I think I think partly, I think, given the time we're living in, in Formula 1, where you have to preserve things so much, I think he'll have learnt, particularly from the, the 2016 season, where he may have fallen victim to having to, you know overuse the car let's say to catch up after every DNF he had to catch up with Osberg and he's probably damaging the car more in the process which led to him to have more mechanical issues which did lead him on to lose the championship and I think he may have learned a lot from that season because since then he's become a lot more focused on looking after the car rather than outright pace hmm. um, but yeah I mean as, as great as he is he is only um, human at the end of the day and Let's not forget that he was already at a disadvantage when it comes to strategy because um, of what happened in qualifying um, with Vettel's crash. So he had to start the race on the soft, which didn't last as long. So he already felt he was at a disadvantage, and then that happened. So he probably, yeah, he probably went into preservation mode. I know, and, and let's not forget, you know, as much as we want to be in the championship, go down to the white, he is still forty-four points clear. He can afford to have a race like this and then hopefully go on next week and, you know, extend the lead again. So he's in a position where he can have weekends like this. It's not like it's a close championship battle at this point. Yeah, I mean, we should stress the importance of that. I think almost it seems sometimes that Lewis's mental strength is uh, beyond anything that we've seen in the sport sometimes in terms of how he manages to handle all the adversity that comes his way inside and outside of the sport. But as I said before, there are moments like this where everything seems to go against Lewis and rather than Lewis sort of try and be defiant and just get on with it and try and sometimes use it to fire him up, he tends to go the other way and yeah. just thinks, well, I can't be asked. As I said, I'll, I'll bring it home, preserve the car, as you mentioned, and you know take the third place, which obviously is not a bad thing um, given how good he's been this season. But I suppose when you look at someone as complete a driver as Lewis Hamilton you almost see that that could potentially be one of the very, very few cracks in an otherwise impervious armour, for lack of a better way of putting it. But um, well, obviously, yeah. 2016. That's exactly what happened in 2016. Yes, exa- exactly. And uh, he was very much in the fight, but it was almost uh, after Malaysia. And, of course, what we saw in Abu Dhabi, Lewis just kind of went into a different mindset where he's like, well, I'm not going to be able to get him out right. This is how I'm going to have to do it. It, 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 was, it was a very strange situation. But, um, yeah, it, it's almost weird to finger sometimes when you see Lewis like that. It's almost like, this is not is this the same guy that's won, as we said, 90 Grand Prix, well on his way to winning a seventh world championship. And, of course, the records that come with that, it's put, this pushed them back probably maybe a week or, or two in this case. But... They're certainly going to be, uh, Lewis is certainly going to be on his way to breaking those in due course. But of course, moving away from this, because we've talked about him quite a lot already in this episode, we have to go back to Valtteri Bottas. Now, for Valtteri Bottas, this is a huge moment in his season. Potentially, this could be the moment that could cheer him up and fire him up to get there. I personally, despite this being one of Valtteri's best, better weekends in a while, I'm still convinced that Lewis, that this is just a minor blip and he'll be able to recover and, and normal. Uh, procedure will will carry on for the remainder of the season but 
let's entertain this idea that perhaps Valtteri Bottas will see this as a defiant moment where he believes now that he may be able to find a way to beat Lewis. How critical was this performance from Valtteri Bottas this weekend? Because after qualifying calling, it felt like he might get the pole. He didn't. Lewis ended up beating him again by quite some margin and even Max Verstappen got ahead of him. So it almost seemed like normal service was going to be resumed. But Valtteri, you know, he dealt with that. He got a great start. He got ahead of Max into turn one, nearly got ahead of Lewis as well. But um, obviously Lewis made those errors before the start of the race, giving him the penalty. And since then, Valtteri controlled the race. Do you believe this is a moment that Valtteri can take on, build up his confidence and perhaps make a late charge for the championship this season? Um, if this was Nico Rosberg, I'd say yes. I still, but with Valtteri, I'm still going to say no because I just feel that Lewis has too much of an advantage over Valtteri when it comes to overall pace. You know, it's it's pretty obvious that in terms of ability, as much as I've always believed that Lewis has been better, it is pretty obvious that Rosberg was able to challenge Lewis a lot more consistently than Valtteri can. And this isn't going over the, the, the case of one season. Rosberg was relatively to Lewis over the four seasons they raced together. We're yet to see Valtteri consistently getting the better of Lewis or as much as Rosberg did. So, for me, I'm still very sceptical about that. Um, you know, thinking from a Lewis Hamilton perspective, I reckon he'd be a lot more worried about this result had it been Max Verstappen having the same machinery and Max Verstappen had caught up by 11 points. So, I think because it's Valtteri, I don't think it's as much of a panic. But, yeah, if it was Max Verstappen, for example that achieved what Valtteri had today. I think Lewis might have had a lot more to worry about this evening. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make. I mean, you mentioned Max Verstappen and... Once again, Max Verstappen putting in a very solid performance, literally got the most that he probably would have expected, or at least hopeful. He split the Mercedes, which for Red Bull is almost like a win, if you think about it, given their performance of their car relative to the Mercedes. But once again, Max, a solid drive from him, managing to consolidate that second place, although the Mercedes swapped the order between them two around him. And uh, another strong performance from him, and uh, to consolidate his position in the championship as well. But as you rightly mentioned, Corny, Lewis would probably be more concerned if it was Max Verstappen in the other Merck or even Nico Rosberg, as you mentioned, the 2016 F1 world champion, rather than Valtteri Bottas. And and I completely agree with your sentiments on this. As much as I'm happy for Valtteri that on a track that he was very, very successful at and, you know, it, it was a race where everything seemed to go his way. He didn't really have to do too much after the first lap or so to get the win because of what happened to Lewis you almost feel that this isn't really going to change the overall picture. And this season in particular, we've seen that when Lewis has a blip in terms of his otherwise stellar, uh, impervious form, he responds and bounces back very quickly, sometimes even more stronger than he was before. So for Valtteri, in my opinion, this is a good day for him. He'll enjoy today. He'll celebrate today. He'll reflect on what he did well in the race and what he could probably do to continue that form. But ultimately, it came about largely because he didn't have to worry about his teammate. And that's a factor that Valtteri, unfortunately, is not going to have as a luxury to him for the remainder of the season. I'm pretty certain of that. So with that in mind, Valtteri is going to have to find another gear, another level to really take it to Lewis towards the end of the season. And not only that, he needs to beat him quite convincingly because a 44-point margin, albeit... Not a large one when you think about it. I mean, if it was the old point system, you'd be talking about, say, uh, 16, 17 points. On the surface, that seems like it's a larger margin than it actually is. But for Lewis to give up 44 points to Valtteri, and I just don't think that that's a margin Valtteri can pull back unless something incredible happens. And I certainly hope, for Lewis's sake, that it's just a clean fight to the end because I don't think it would be right for the sport for anything to interfere with that. We know Lewis has had troubles before out of his control. As you mentioned, 2016 was a very important one that was almost taken, that was taken away from him in part. But we'll have to wait and see how it goes. But for this point, I would say it's just one of those weeks where nothing went right for Lewis in the race. And 
you know, the rest of the season, I don't expect to follow that suit. Well, just, of course, is in two weeks' time. So with that in mind, guys, obviously we've covered the top three. We will take a quick break, and then in part two, we will review some of the other interesting performances, good or bad, and incidents in the race. And, of course, we will also be talking about the huge news this week regarding the change at the helm of Formula One with current CEO Chase Carey of Liberty Media, the new owners of Formula One, stepping down from his role at the end of the year to be replaced by Stefano Domenicali, the former uh, team principal at Ferrari, who is currently the CEO and chairman of Lamborghini, who will be taking over his role whilst Chase moves into the non-executive director's role. And obviously what that will mean for the sport and, of course, assessing Chase's contributions to Formula One in such a short time and how important he has been for the current, present and future of the sport. So we will talk about it in part two. So uh, do what you got to do whilst this is on the break and we will see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So obviously in part one we were talking about the race itself and of course how important that win was for Valtteri Bottas and obviously what happened to Lewis and the impact that that has for the championship as well as covering Max Verstappen's day at Red Bull, a very otherwise quiet day, although a strong second place performance from him and the team which they'll be very very happy with as well. So moving on to some other performances in this race and covering some of the other drivers in the grid. First things first, Courtney, congratulations to uh, Sergio Perez. A solid fourth position in the race. He qualified fourth as well, so he managed to hold on to that. And uh, it looks like finally, after quite a few races where he's been off the cup, probably still recovering from the latent effects of COVID-19, which he had earlier in the season but otherwise a very very strong performance for Sergio Perez fourth place consolidated his position well had a tough time at the start of course he got bogged down behind the Renaults who otherwise were very impressive in the early stages but nonetheless he managed to go longer into the opening stint managed to jump both the Renaults from the pit stops and from there he just didn't look back really quite comfortable in fourth place so um what would you make of Sergio Perez's performance today, Courtney? Uh, much, much needed for him, I would say, given what's happened to him the last couple of weeks. Yep, I think that was the uh, perfect statement for him to make. And uh, let's hope that he gets a deserved seat in Formula 1, because, yeah, you know, luckily he didn't have to wait long to prove his point, but he certainly made it today. Absolutely. And I think for Sergio Perez, he's one of those drivers that even though his resume would dictate that he shouldn't have to, he kind of has to use the remainder of this season to kind of show everyone or even remind them as why he is still a a much sought after commodity in Formula 1 and in motorsport in general because whilst the number of seats that might be available aren't exactly ones that would appeal to him in terms of wanting to win races from the get-go, it is still a good indication for some teams who may be unsure about their driver lineups for next season that Sergio Perez is on the market, he's still very quick, he's still very experienced and of course very good at tyre management which again proved to be a big factor for him today. Although the Russian Grand Prix of street circuit, they don't tend to be abrasive by nature, if anything they're actually quite good for tyre wear one-stop races all round today for most of the field. But Sergio Perez managed his race brilliantly. Of course, the pit stop strategy was executed to perfection and he completely cleared the Renaults, who for most part were bogged down by Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari. And of course, as a result, what ended up being split by Charles Leclerc, who came in sixth place as well. So a bit of a mixed bag of fortunes for them. But of course, Lance Stroll, that incident with Leclerc on the first lap, um, what did you make of that incident, Courtney? Would you say that that was just a, a racing incident? Because Charles Leclerc came into the inside of turn four, it was, I believe. And uh, it wasn't really anywhere for either of them to go. It was one of those incidents where two cars were never going to go and Leclerc had the inside and uh, Lance Stroll was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd put it down as a racing incident. You know, we've, we've spoken about tedious rules impeding races for no apparent reason and I'm pleased that Leclerc didn't get a punishment for that because you know one of the main drawing one of the main points of Formula 1 which draws people in is usually the first lap and what you don't want is to have drivers sort of differing over whether to make a a risky overtake at the beginning of a race because they don't want to get penalised so it was good to see um it's good to see Charles get away with that one. 
So we didn't really do anything wrong anyway, but it's good to see you didn't get a punishment for it. And yeah, I mean, um, like looking at the start of the race, I mean, the accident that Carla Sainz had was bizarre and not particularly pleasant to watch, was it? No, it was, uh, if anything, it was, I mean, obviously he's okay and that's a good thing, but I was going to put this man, uh, this down to the uh, kind of silly moment of the day of the race, really, where he tried to uh, negotiate the uh, outside, sort of like the runoff area, which um, they've been, the car, the drivers were instructed at turn one, if you go off beyond the sausage curbs, you have to go through this uh, designated runoff area to make sure you can rejoin the track safely. And Max Verstappen committed to that very early on. So he went through there at normal racing speed and did so quite brilliantly. Carlos Sainz tried to do the same thing, but he didn't give himself enough room to open up that area and ended up crashing into the, the wall on the way out, which completely ruined his race, which I'm not going to lie. When I looked it back on the replay, knowing he was okay, I found it hilarious, actually. It was, and it was... just completely... He just kind of completely went in at the wrong angle, didn't he? Yeah, he, he didn't open it up. And uh, no. as a result, he ended up going in and completely ruined his race. And uh, as I said, it was quite amusing when you're watching it on the replay, but it certainly wasn't an incident Carlos would be too uh, keen to be laughing at in particular. But uh, otherwise, his performances have been very good of late. And uh, that was a bit of an off moment for him. But... Um, so, obviously, looking through some of the other results today, of course, we should mention the Renaults. Uh Again, 5th and 7th place is not necessarily a bad result for them, especially in their chase for the championship, of course, battling away with Racing Point and McLaren for 3rd position. Uh, Ferrari, there are thereabouts, but they're a bit further behind, but definitely those three. But it could have been so much more for Renault today. Of course, they were running 4th and 5th early on in the race. Ricardo and Ocon was doing a fantastic job for a lot of the race, but as the strategy started to change, Ocon got held up by Sebastian Vettel after the pit stops, and Sebastian Vettel was completely out of sync, definitely running a, a compromise strategy that Ferrari had asked him to run for benefiting his teammate, which did work to a degree. And then what happened for Renault to try and get... Sorry, I do apologise for that. Phone's sort of making noise there. But... Um, what happened with them was that Ocon got stuck behind Vettel. He couldn't overtake him, so they orchestrated a manoeuvre to allow Ricardo to overtake Ocon to then try and have a go at Vettel. But it happened at Turn 1, and then Ricardo went around the outside. But because of that, he was very late on the brakes and ended up going off the circuit and then didn't take the correct um, course to go through the runoff area as instructed and then ended up getting a time penalty which wasn't ideal. It ultimately didn't really affect his his race finish because he came uh, fifth anyway. And, and it was his radio message that was quite interesting to compare to what Lewis Hamilton was dealing with, um, the penalties he had in his kind of radio message where he sounded a bit defeatist, a bit angry, and that everyone was against him, that sort of thing. Ricardo basically responded um, when his team, when his uh, engineer said to him, Daniel, you've got a five second penalty, he said, okay, no problem, I'll just drive faster. And, and he did. He got his head down, he just pulled a gap to Charles Leclerc, and he ended up comfortably finishing ahead of Charles Leclerc and keeping hold of that fifth place. So, uh, a good result for Ricardo, but Esteban Ocon Courtney, seventh place, not a bad result, but it could have been so much more for him today. What do you make of Renault's day today? Because they wouldn't be disappointed, but it could have been more for them. Yeah, I think um, this is another example of Renault's season since Spa. They've made a, they've made a good forward step, but it always seems to be a case of some so close yet so far. You know, like, I think, was, was it last time? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was the last time out where they were close to getting that first podium. You know, it just seemed to be, they seem to be like, He's in the cusp of glory when it comes to relative success, but um, that that is one team that I hope do get a podium because I think they've they've they had their little whinge and a moan about Racing Point early in the season. They didn't dwell on it. They've they've also put a lot of work in to improve, and I think you know they definitely deserve some type of glory for what they've done this season. It's a very big change for Renault. I mean. They've gone a long way in a short space of time. I mean, last season we were talking about a team that were the fourth best team in Formula 1, best of the rest, if you like, outside the top three. And last season their car didn't work 
for lack of a better way of putting it, it was wrong, it wasn't very drivable, the balance was off, and the drivers just couldn't get the most out of it. Moving forward to 2019, or 2020, I should say, they stripped the car apart. They basically said that this is a brand new car compared to what we had last season. And over time, it, it, you know, through development and hard work, they've managed to put this car into a position now where rather than being on the fringes of the points, they're now on the fringes of a podium. And under the right circumstances, I absolutely agree. I think a podium is definitely on the cards for Renault. Will it happen this season? It, there is a possibility. Still plenty of time for that to happen, uh, particularly in Spa and, of course, Mugello in Italy. They were very, very good. And Daniel Ricciardo in particular was very, very strong. And Esteban Ocon today, the early stages of the race, seemed to have Ricciardo covered off. It was only until the pit stops happened and Ocon got stuck behind Sebastian Vettel, which allowed not only his teammate to overtake him, but also Perez and Charles Leclerc. So a huge missed opportunity for someone like Esteban Ocon in a sense where... The car is getting better, but these are all good things for Renault. I'm not suggesting that they're going to slip into this other dynamic where that before they were in a not-so-great car having to maximise results through strategy innovations and brilliant you know, tactical decisions to being a team that has a very quick car but making blunders in the pit wall or drivers making mistakes costing them valuable points. I don't think that's where they're going, but it was one of those days today where normal circumstances in the past they'd be delighted with that result but today they might feel that we could have got a bit more so you know a bit of a mixed bag for them yeah I must say though when it comes to Renault and the direction of heading considering there isn't really going to be much of a change going into next season you know we're talking about like talking about like the purists of the sport and everything as a purist if Renault keep this up we could well we could well see the exciting prospect of seeing Fernando Alonso come up against Max Verstappen next season. Now, wouldn't that be great to see, hopefully, uh, a rejuvenated Fernando Alonso coming up against Max Verstappen? Let's hope that happens, eh? They certainly hope so. I mean, a few years is a long time out of Formula One for Fernando Alonso. I mean, look at Michael Schumacher. He'd only been out of the sport for four or five years, and the whole dynamic of it had changed. Of course, his motivations were a bit different, and perhaps that's why we didn't see the absolute best of him that we saw in his before the first time round. But nonetheless, it can have an impact. And of course, hopefully, Fernando, he will step into a Renault team much more stronger and competitive than it was than he was in before, and of course, than he was when he was at McLaren. Of course, McLaren will make strides next season as well. Not forgetting that next season, of course, they're aiming to reduce the downforce by around 10% as they did in 2019. So you may find that Renault, a car that doesn't necessarily have the most downforce and is much more slippery in a straight line, it may favour them more than other teams that will have to lose more in you know downforce that's critical to them. So in terms of a hindrance on performance, it may affect Renault less, which will in turn uh, give them a better car for next season relative to other teams. So a lot of good things coming out of Renault, a lot of good things for them as well. Speaking of which, we move on to a team, very briefly, we're not going to cover them in too much depth this weekend, but Ferrari, a team that have had struggles all season long, Um, finishing in 6th place today, Charles Leclerc, started uh, in 10th after Albon's grid penalty, but this is the third time in four races, Courtney, where both Ferraris have failed to get out of Q2 and make it into the top 10 Now, Ferrari mentioned that they were going to bring some updates to their car, the first sort of updates of its kind in quite a while. And and this is a pattern we're going to see for the rest of the season with Ferrari. So nothing major or world-beating in terms of performance. But little bits here and there, little upgrades that are going to improve the balance of the car and address faults that they found on the 2020 car. And believe me, there's a lot of them that they will then take into 2021 and hopefully have a more competitive car not to win races, but one that can definitely compete to potentially get on the podium a little bit more than it has done. And I think first things first, despite how you may feel about the strategy on what it did to Sebastian Vettel, but Ferrari played an absolute blinder in today in allowing Charles Leclerc to take advantage of his teammates' efforts to hold up the Renaults and at least split them to finish in in sixth position today. Certainly in a car that you would have been probably expecting them to get into the points at the very best. So, I mean, what do you make of Charles Leclerc this season? I think it's very hard to judge Leclerc on where, how fast he's been driving compared to last season in the Ferrari that he'd won a few races in. But 
some of the drives he's put in and the way he's had to manage these faults of the car and improve his own driving style to actually accommodate that, he's actually done quite well and scored a few podiums. And of course, a result like he got today probably wasn't one they were expecting. So what do you think of Leclerc this season, Courtney? Are we seeing more of the driver that we were expecting to see or the potential starting to show in him? Well, it's a conversation we've had many times when we discuss the ability of drivers. Um, I think we both agree, Adam, that we tend to um, judge drivers' careers based on how they outperform um, not-so-good cars or cars struggling. You know, we can... You know, if we have a look at Max, we can see that he's doing it with this year's car. We've seen it with Lewis during his final years at McLaren. And it seems that we're seeing this now with Leclerc. So it, it definitely puts him in good stead going into seasons where he could well be closer to a duel with the likes of Max Verstappen. So, you know, we want to be seeing this. We don't when, when, when Lewis leaves, I think if you're not a Max Verstappen fan, you don't want to be seeing one man who's dominating the sport leave to be replaced by another man who does the exact same thing. So I think it's good news looking into the future of the sport when it comes to competitiveness. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and it's good to point out that I think there have been a few drivers this season that despite not necessarily being in faster machinery than they have been in previous years, we've certainly seen them coming to the fore in terms of getting these results and seeing what they're really capable of. I mean, for example... Ricardo, I think, is driving as fast as he's ever been driving, and that includes his time at Red Bull. Leclerc, again, I think he's driving very well this season, perhaps better than he was last season at Ferrari. He's not making as many mistakes, and he's doing a good job maximising the performance of his car in that regard. Um, you've also got Pierre Gasly, another one. Of course, today, again, bittersweet with his ninth place, but obviously strategy calls were a bit strange there because they kind of got bogged down by the fact that they pitted Gasly uh, on a virtual safety car to put him on faster tyres. But the virtual safety car, um, as a result of the uh, markers that Grosjean drove through towards the end of the race, which was quite amusing, it was timed really poorly. I think 10 seconds early it might have worked for them, but it ended up costing him a place or two. One performance that we uh, haven't mentioned that we really should do, and that was at his home race today, and that was uh, Daniel Kvyat who got an eighth position for Alvatari, one of his best results of the season, certainly one of his best drives. They went on the alternate strategy today. They, um, outside the top 10, he was 11th on the grid, I believe. And he uh, ended up starting... The, oh, sorry, I should... Yeah, it's 11th on the grid. So he ended up starting on the harder tyres. He went a completely different way, went long into the first stint, and then ended up coming out on the mediums in the top eight. And... Uh, got to say, very impressive stuff from Daniel Kvyat today. I think we've talked in previous episodes about how good Pierre Gasly has been in the AlphaTauri this season, almost completely neglecting Daniel Kvyat for what he is doing. He's not necessarily doing a bad job, but today I think was a great reminder. And at his home circuit in front of his home fans, of course, where you see his face paraded all over the stands, which of course had fans this weekend. It was the first race that really had proper fans coming into the event since the original lockdown following COVID. But Daniel Kvyat in particular done an excellent job today so I think he deserves special praise on that performance and uh, hopefully this is something we'll see a bit more of him towards the end of the season Daniel Kvyat trying to remind Alpha Tauri what he can do and perhaps try and secure a seat for them next season which of course hasn't been confirmed yet and uh, we'll have to wait and see what he does yeah I mean uh, you know we discussed last week how I feel that it would be very harsh for him to lose a seat in Formula 1 altogether same with Perez so Again, it seems just just um, just in the same way that Perez has done. It seems that Kvyat has made a bit of a statement at the perfect time. Yeah, absolutely. On the judges now towards the end of this episode, uh, let's talk briefly now about the news that's come out this week in Formula One. Of course, as we expected, Chase Carey is stepping down as the F1 CEO. Obviously. Uh, Chief CEO at Liberty Media, the company that bought out Formula One, or the FOM, I should say, from Bernie Eccleston uh, a few years ago. Chase Carey, in the last few years, has been a pivotal figure in this sport and its development, obviously, preserving its heritage, maintaining the sport's uh, financial situation, and playing a huge role in helping to make sure that this season had actually took place. And obviously, what we've done following COVID, and of course 
the outset for the future, which has been secured, whilst he now, uh, from the 1st of January next year, will move into a non-executive director's role. So he will be there or thereabouts. And uh, for those of you who don't know Chase Carey, I'll put a picture on the YouTube channel as well. The uh, the moustache guy, if you like. Uh, very, very recognisable character in the Formula 1 parrot, Chase Carey. And of course, Chase will be replaced by former uh, Lamborghini chairman and CEO Stefano Domenicali. Now, for those of you that may recognise that name, you will know Stefano was the former team principal at Ferrari um, back uh, seven or eight years ago when Ferrari had Fernando Alonso and Felipe Massa. And of course, Stefano, very much a respected member of the F1 community and of course was very much in high appraisal for his work at Ferrari who he'd been there for over 23 years he was a grad student after university joined Ferrari from there worked his way up ever since and of course a very successful individual in Formula One and now coming back to take over as the F1 CEO so first and first Courtney what do you make of this huge news are you surprised by this Uh, what do you think of Stefano Domenicardi do you think this is the right man to take Formula One forward with its current vision? Um, I think the the cynics out there will be keeping an eye out for any um, Ferrari bias, which I don't think will happen, given that the FI, um, you know, the top of F1 is being run by the likes of John Todd and Ross Braun. And if you have a look back on um, the last few years in Formula One, there's nothing to suggest that Ferrari had benefited from this. So don't have to worry about that too much. And uh, I think, in a way, it, um, it's slightly, just a slightly bit embarrassing for Ferrari, you know, considering that Ferrari let him go and now he's one of the top men in Formula One. So it, it kind of backs up the point we've made about the culture at Ferrari because. You know, some of the people that have let go have gone on to do better things. Yeah, it's a really good point to uh, to make, actually. And, of course, we should stress that there aren't really many, or if any, there aren't really any bad people in Formula 1. There are lots of great, incredible minds and brilliant individuals, some of the best in the world. In any yeah, any specific category you can think of, these guys and, and women, of course, are some of the most brilliant people in the world. And... For good reason, of course, as you can see, Stefano had been very successful outside of Formula 1 with a lot of racing projects, of course, with Lamborghini, Audi, of course, he had a stint there as well, following his departure from Ferrari, but this is definitely a Ferrari man, but that's not to say that his integrity will be jeopardised by giving Ferrari favours or trying to make things happen, I mean, given what we've seen from the latest Concord Agreement, I'd say Ferrari would be very, very happy with the outcome before Stefano had even set foot in the door, so... For me personally, there's a lot of praise for Stefano and a lot of people excited to see him back in the sport. Uh, I'm very happy that he's going to be back involved in the sport. Of course, from my experience as a Ferrari fan, I thought Stefano was very harshly treated in the way that he was removed, of course, replaced by Marco Mattiacci. And this was during the period where Ferrari senior management were very, very heavily involved in the running of the team following the departure of Luca de Montezemolo. And, of course... Um, you know, it's it's one of those where you you just feel that, you know, with Sergio Marchionne as well, that Ferrari were going through a time where they were really chopping off the wrong people, for lack of a better way of putting it, and not really looking at the real issues of why they were so successful in the past, why they found it hard, to, even now, to replicate that success. And, you know, with Stefano as the F1 CEO, I can only imagine good things. I can only envision good things for the sport given on the foundations of what Chase has laid there. I mean, I mean, let's talk about Chase for a few moments before we wrap this up, but Chase Carey's influence in Formula 1 uh, for a few years has been nothing short of incredible. What this man has managed to help achieve in a short time has been incredible, something that we didn't think we would ever imagine would happen under Bernie Eccleston's regime at Formula 1, where you know he's got the teams to agree to a budget cap, which is, you know, and a one of around 150 million, maybe a bit more than that, but still incredible considering that some of the top teams in the sport spend more than double that already. He's also managed to handle this COVID situation with the exclusion of Melbourne incredibly well and allowed us to have a championship in the way that we have and a, and a regular championship, I should say. It's probably been one of the uh, better championships in recent years in terms of venues that we're going to. Um, I can't say many fans are complaining about the circuit choices and the Grand Prix that we've had to go to, except to today, perhaps. But Russia's never been a popular circuit in general. 
with the fans. And of course, let's not forget that we're now moving into regulations in 2022 where the F1 teams have had their input, but the whole emphasis has been purely to make the racing more competitive, make it more interesting for the fans to watch. And more than anything else, bring Formula One into an era where financially it's going to be more sustainable. Uh, Environmentally wise, it's going to be one of the leading sports in terms of being environmentally friendly, even to a point where they might be challenging Formula E in some regard to this. And, you know, he's bringing Formula One, he's sustaining their future and it's going to be a very good future. And hopefully, I imagine Stefano will help to bring this vision, this transition, this plan that, that Chase has prepared with Liberty Media and the FIA, of course, NF1 management all together, which should hopefully culminate in a sport that we will see the next decade of Formula One racing to be up there with some of the greatest we've ever had to see. So I am certainly looking forward to that. And I would like to personally thank Chase for what he has done for Formula One in such a short time. And I'm glad that someone like Stefano is going to be helping to see that through because it's very easy for someone to come in with that in mind and then try and revert it back to how things used to be. But with the integrity of the people we've got in Formula One, right, making the decisions and working with the teams who have been very heavily involved, I can see nothing but an exciting future for the sport. Yeah, you know, Adam, you've uh, you've made a lot of points there and I can't really argue against what you've said. Um, F1 has definitely been, you know, very much refreshing in terms of how the race weekends are done, the branding, you know, let's not forget the new theme tune, little things like that that make uh, that make the weekend better. Um, but yeah, if you have a look at the regulations going forward, it could lead to more competitive racing. Whereas, you know, Bernie, Bernie Eccleston did do great things for the sport, but it definitely did stagnate, let's just say. There wasn't really big changes, needed changes for a very long time. And we've seen big changes being made for the better going into the future in the last few years. And, uh, Let's hope that continues. Absolutely. And of course, the theme tune is right for you to mention there. Although, I don't know why, but I always seem to prefer the uh, parody version with the uh, recorder playing the the tune. Yeah, the flute. Yeah, rather than the flute being played very, very badly, rather than the uh, original one. But still, absolutely brilliant nonetheless. And as I said, I'm excited by it all. Adam. Yes. Can we can we make the F1 foul flute the uh, the outro for today's episode, please? Uh, we well, we can certainly try. I'll certainly try to get it in. I'll have to see if it's copyrighted or not because we can't use content that we don't own without prior exactly. permission, of course. So uh, I'll try, but uh, as a bit of a meme in there, but we'll have to see what they say about that. Uh, but nonetheless, guys, of course, that's always a good way to end this episode. And uh, for those of you that are obviously new to the channel and new to the podcast thank you very much for joining us and of course those of you who are avid listeners of the past thank you once again for tuning into another episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and of course don't forget to follow us on social media dnf1 underscore podcast on both twitter and instagram and on youtube it's dnf1 f1 podcast so as you know what a great way to end this episode guys thank you very much for joining us and of course make sure to like share and subscribe if you're listening to us on youtube if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform whatever that may be make sure to follow us and download as well we really appreciate you for joining us for this hour or so and uh, we will see you in the next episode next week so until then take care stay safe and we will see you in the next dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.